0: Hey, good morning, y'all. My name is Ed Griffin Hagen. I'm one of our pastors here at my church. Today is Christmas Eve Eve. I don't know if there's such a thing, but we had to have a name for it. So it's Christmas Eve Eve, and tomorrow's Christmas Eve, and the next day is Christmas. So it's a cool, it's a cool time. And look, today we're going to be in Second Samuel chapter nine, and y'all are probably thinking. Shouldn't you be in Luke 2 or Matthew or somewhere in the New Testament? It's about Jesus, but here's the deal. We're going to find the gospel in Second Samuel 9. Trust me, just hang with me for a little bit. We're going to find the gospel. <clears throat> so we, we see this Christmas table. So we've got a table. You know, the the table, really the table speaks of of family. And I remember growing up, back in the day in the Stone Ages, like a long time ago, where we had dinner at the table every night. Some of y'all remember when you had dinner at the table every night? And it speaks to the family, and we would actually talk to each other. What a shocking thing that we would not text back and forth across the table. We'd, we'd talk to each other, and there'd be fellowship at the table. And this, this, like this can really be, and it often was, the, the, like the heart of the home. Having dinner together as a family, and we'd eat, we'd spend time together, and we'd we relationships would grow, you know, when we sat at the table. And it used to be that we spent way more time together at the table. In today's times, like screens have replaced the table, iPhones and iPads and laptops and desktops and and the television screens, and all all of that's just not enough time together at the table. Back in the day, in those Stone Ages. The average time that people got together was around 5.45, 5.46 actually 30 years ago was the average time people sat down at the table. The average time they spent together, that we spent together at the table, was about 63 minutes. Today, if people sit down at a table, it's at 7.57 p.m. after soccer practice and after baseball practice and after cheer practice and after husband and wife or whoever has, has worked you know 14 hours a day and that's if we sit down. And if we sit down the average length of time that people sit at the table is 27 minutes. So we went from a little over an hour to a little less than half an hour if there is actually a sit down at the dinner. And <clears throat> at the dinner table and and studies have shown that families that sit down and have dinner together at a table reap crazy benefits. There is a decrease in obesity. There is obviously an increase in good interpersonal relationships. There is reduced stress, reduced depression, reduced anxiety. All these benefits of sitting down at the table. So, like, can we just agree that it would be a good thing? It would be a good thing if we all sat down and had dinner together. And, you know, that's, that's family, Christmas, the the, the whole Christmas story is about family. And so we have table and we have Christmas. Christmas is God inviting me and you into his family. That's what Christmas is. He is inviting us into his family. Christmas is an image of God doing everything necessary to make a place for us at, at his table. Our place at His table is what was lost in the garden. Our place at the table was lost in the garden. In the garden, Adam and Eve had a place with the Lord. They walked with Him. They talked with Him. And we don't really know how long there was between creation and the fall. I would imagine, though, that it was probably a pretty long time. However long that was, though, suffice it to say, that table fellowship with the Lord is what was broken and what was lost. We lost the right to be seated at His table. But that which was lost, Christmas seeks to find. That which was lost, Christmas seeks to to restore, to give back to us. God promised in Genesis 3 to crush the head of the serpent and to restore fellowship with us. Y'all realize that there's a promise. Long time ago in the garden, long time ago in Genesis 3, that he would crush the devil and he would restore that relationship with us. Christmas is where we begin to see that play itself out. And so into 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? So let me set this up a little bit. We get three people that show up in the first verse of of 2 Samuel 9, and that is Saul and David and Jonathan. Saul is the first king of Israel. Jonathan is his son. David is going to be the future king, the second king. David and Jonathan are best friends. So you got Saul's the first king, David is the future king, and Jonathan and David are best friends. God ended up, uh, he told Saul that the kingdom was going to be stripped away from him and David is going to be the next king. Well, Saul ain't all that happy about hearing that news that, that, that his kingdom's going to be stripped away and David is going to be the next king. And when the prophet came to Jesse's house, Jesse was David's father, <clears throat> when the prophet came to his house and said, you know, the prophet was there to anoint, to, to let him know that one of his sons was going to be the future king, Jesse had eight sons. Guess who's the runt of the litter? That would be David. David wasn't even at the table for the conversation of who was going to be the king. David was what? David was a shepherd. David is the runt, the youngest. He's out in the field. And one of his big, strong, you know, whatever, big brothers was going to be who uh, the prophet anointed. Well, when, when we expect God to zig, he probably zags and he anoints the runt of the litter to be the king. He always uses the most unexpected people to do his, to do his thing. And from that point on, God began working in David's life, and he, he, he grew him in wisdom, and he grew him in, in stature, and he grew him in favor. He, he, David became a, an incredible military guy in Saul's army. In fact, all of us know the story of, of David whooping up on, on Goliath on the giant. However, Saul was so enraged, Saul was so mad, and he st- that, he's gonna, that his kingdom's getting stripped away. He schemes and he plots to take David out. But you can't keep God's man down. And even as his life became incredibly, David I'm talking about, incredibly difficult, his life became crazy difficult, Saul, Saul would send him into battles that were seemingly unwinnable. David, though, would always succeed. He ended up even marrying Saul's daughter. So Saul is David's father-in-law. Saul's son is David's best friend. David is Saul's son-in-law. Saul, all the while, wants to kill him. But no matter what he did, he couldn't take David out. And I know you're all sitting there thinking, okay, like, where's the Christmas story in all of this? It's coming. Just trust me, it is coming. So, you got David, and you got Saul, and you got Jonathan, and David become best friends. And we know this because Saul says to Jonathan, his son, he says, Boy, you're going to be the next king. He says, Boy, you're the heir, you're going to be the next king. As an aside, don't cram your wants and your career down your kid's throat. Let that be between them and God. Let God. Let God's, let them figure out what God's will is for their lives. Saul is cramming it down Jonathan's throat. But God says, no, 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 no. David is going to be the king, and, and Jonathan t- sides with God and David. So Saul insists that Jonathan's going to be the king, but Jonathan says God's hand is clearly on David, and Saul gets livid again. And he is doing whatever he can do to kill. He even tries to kill his own son. Saul even tries to kill Jonathan, but Jonathan survives that. And Jonathan and David's friendship survives all that. And Jonathan says to, to David, he says, bro, promise me one thing. Just promise me one thing. Promise me that when you're the king, you will be kind to my family. Jonathan says, David, just be kind to my family. He says, he says look, man, I know my dad is a nutbag. I know he is, but just, but, but just promise me that you'll be good to us. And David says, well, you're going to be raising up and taking care of your family. David says that to Jonathan. He says, you'll be looking after them yourself. And Jonathan says, just promise me when I'm gone that you'll be kind and take care of my family. It is almost like Jonathan knew that he was not going to be around all that much longer. David says, of course I will. Jonathan says, promise me. David says, of course I will. And so from that moment on, we don't really know if David and Jonathan had any other interactions, any other conversations, because the text doesn't say that they did. Maybe they did, but the text doesn't say it. Because David gets on the run from, from Saul. Saul's trying to kill him. David's gone for 10 years. He's running from Saul. 10 plus years, he's hiding out in caves. He's hiding out in the fields, in the plains in Israel. He's climbing up trees and sleeping like a leopard up in a branch or something, hiding out from David. And it just reminds me of Psalm eight three. It's one of my most favorite psalms. And you can imagine David laying in a field somewhere, or laying on top of a uh, on top of a hut, because a lot of times they would sleep on top of their dwellings. And if you've ever been out in in wherever, Colorado, Wyoming you know out where they're in your when you're in the middle of nowhere and there's no ambient light and you look up at the sky it's radically different looking than it looks when you go outside here it's almost like you can't even see the sky for all the stars right and so day imagine david on the run for 10 years he's laying there and he looks up at the sky and all david can do at that moment is lean on god 24/7 And he looks up at the skies, and in Psalm 8, he says, and I'm going to mess this up because I'm not quoting it exactly, but he says, "You're you're the guy that hung every one of those stars. You put every one of those in the place that you wanted them. You hung the moon right where you wanted it. You hung all these planets. You did all that. And then he says, who am I that you would care one iota about me? Think about how incredible that is. The God of the universe that hung every star in its place cares about where every hair on your head is. I probably should, That was probably a bad analogy. But, but he does. That's an, and David is laying there looking up, and that's what David thinks. Who am I that you're mindful of me? And so we have the book of Psalms because David went through an incredibly difficult period. Because the book of Psalms, most of the Psalms written by David were written in that time period where he is on the run from Saul and all he does is lean on the Lord so you take heart if you're going through a difficult period because David did and we have the book of Psalms so we don't know if David and Jonathan ever spoke again eventually Jonathan dies eventually Saul dies and here we are in second Samuel chapter 9 so David asked is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake so David is thinking about this promise this covenant that he made with Jonathan Then verse 2, now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba at your service, he replied. And the king asked, Is there anyone still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? And Ziba answered the king, There's still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. And where is he, the king asked. Ziba answered he is at the house of Machir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Lodabar means no pasture. Lodabar was in the sticks. Lodabar is a desolate place where he is hiding out. Lodabar is nowhere. So King David, verse, uh, uh, verse 5, So King David had him brought from Lodabar from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. So now we got a fourth guy that enters this scene. His name is Mephibosheth. Can you say that? Mephibosheth. I messed all week. I'm going Mephibosheth. I mean, it's Mephibosheth. And he's Jonathan's son. Now, David had no earthly idea that Jonathan had a son because he was born after David was on the run from Saul. He must have missed the Instagram post from Doctor's Hospital that you know, that Jonathan took. Verse 7, don't be afraid. Mephibosheth shows up petrified. I'll tell you why he's petrified in a minute. One, we know that he was petrified because David said, first thing David says to him is don't be afraid. David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. You will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? I promise you that David's mind went right back to Psalm A that he had written probably 8 or 9 or 10 or 15 years earlier. Mephibosheth said, Who am I that you should care one iota about me? And then verse 9, Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and I have no idea why that's in the Bible. Maybe just to say, here's a bunch of people that are going to serve you. I don't know. Verse 11, then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servants to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. He ate at the table just like he was one of the king's sons. Verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table he was lame in both feet. Now, I know this totally doesn't sound like the Christmas story, but this is exactly what we need to understand if we're going to enter into the Christmas time with the right frame of mind. Me and you are Mephibosheth. We are Mephibosheths, if that sounded right. And, and, and why would I say that we're Mephibosheth? There's probably three or four or five reasons The first being, life does not always go according to plan. Has everybody in this room's life gone according to plan? Probably not. For Mephibosheth, life had definitely not gone according to plan. And if we're to understand and get our arms around the Christmas story and the power of Jesus coming, it's because like Mephibosheth, our lives have not gone exactly according to plans. If you're 40 years old and you're looking back and when you were 20 and 25 and 30 and 35 and what you thought it was going to look like back then and you're 40 or 45 now and it doesn't quite necessarily look like that. You wanted to be a this or you wanted to be a that and you're not. that just quite didn't happen. You, you thought when you're 40 that you would be married and living in a little white house with two kids and seven fish and three dogs and two cats or something and you may be struggling as we sit today to biologically have a child of your own. You never thought that would be the case when you were 20 or 25 years old. Life just doesn't always go according to plan. And you sit there and you think, when did we give up on our dreams? You may have, when you were 17, you went out and got mixed up with the wrong crowd, got a criminal record. You may have gotten thrown out of school. You, you, You may have had a plan, but life just hasn't gone according to that. Mike Tyson, what preacher quotes Mike Tyson, but Mike Tyson said everybody has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. I mean, we get punched in the mouth sometimes. Mephibosheth was five years old when his father died. The same day his grandfather died. Jonathan and, and Saul died on the same day. How different do you reckon that kid's life would have been had that not happened? Think about it. He's living in a palace. He's... The second in line, he's an heir to the throne of Israel. Two o'clock, he's probably got horseback riding lessons. Two-thirty, he's got, he goes over to the batting cages and he's got hitting instructions from some major league player because Saul's got all the money in the world. He's sleeping on the finest linens, the finest down pillows. He's got his own staff. All of that changed the day that Saul and Jonathan died there's going to be a new sheriff in town. David is going to be the king. And Mephibosheth's world just got turned upside down. He woke up sometime during the fifth year of his life as the prince living in the king's palace. And it all changed. The king's dead. The king's son is dead. And David is being crowned as the king. And so Mephibosheth heard the chatter in the in the halls in the in the palace. He's 5 years old. He doesn't know what all of that is about. But he just knows dad dies. And we don't know anything about his mama because the Bible doesn't tell us anything about his mama's but we about his mama, but we know that life didn't go according to plan for him. The second reason that we are him or we are Mephibosheth or like him is that people in our lives that we trusted or trust let us down. People in his life let him down. He trusted them, and they let him down. Have people in your life that said they would be there, maybe not been there. Praise Jesus. We trusted that mom and dad would always stay married, but they didn't. You know, we, we, he said that he would love me for, or love you for ever and ever and ever and ever, but, but he didn't. We have all experienced on some level or the other, we've experienced betrayal whether it was from a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a spouse or a mom or a dad. And Mephibosheth didn't have a dad anymore. Not that his dad let him down by dying in battle, but he didn't have a dad anymore. He had a nanny. He had a nurse. Second Samuel chapter 4 tells us this. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son. This is five chapters earlier. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. So this verse tells us what, what happened to him. There was fear and panic in Saul's staff because there's a new sheriff in town. In that day, all the old was wiped out and executed. So I guarantee you that Saul's staff flipped out. They flipped out. The fear that was that they would be rounded up and executed because that's what happened. So this this nurse grabs the kid, takes off running with the kid, probably thinks in her mind, wait a minute, I don't work for Saul anymore, and this, this kid is weighing me down. She chunks him. We don't know whether he broke his legs or broke his feet or broke his back. We know that he's lame. He's paralyzed. Whatever happened, she was the only thing in his world that was left that he trusted, and she let him down. Major letdown. Like paralyzing major letdown. And we have all had people that have let us fall. But you know what? We have all let people fall as well. Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is why we betray people and people betray us. So number two is that people let him down. The third reason is this. He was in danger and, and had no way to run. Mephibosheth had no idea of David's promise, David's covenant with Jonathan. And everyone that heard David was looking for anybody in Jonathan's family or anybody in Saul's family that was left thought it's like this Game of Thrones thing because that's what happened in that day. That he was looking to take out anybody that could possibly be a threat and Mephibosheth had no way to run. And he thought that he was going to be rounded up and he was going to be killed. And he was living in Lodabar, no pasture, a desolate place. And so he is there before the king and the first thing David says to him is don't be afraid. Where have I heard don't be afraid? Oh, Luke chapter 2. The Christmas story I hear, don't be afraid. Luke chapter 2 verse 9. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. Who is them? Anybody know who them is? Them is the shepherds. What was David? David was a shepherd boy. And the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you... Good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, of the Lord. Isn't it amazing that this story echoes the greatest story ever, ever told? As this person who's in great danger, he's in great danger, had nowhere to run, but he finds mercy at the hands of a good king. Mercy in the hands of a good king that wants to show him kindness. So number four, why are we like Mephibosheth? And it is because there was a good king that wants to show him kindness. There's a good king that wants to show him kindness. There was no reason to. David didn't have to do this. There was no law. That's not what happened in the day. They rounded people up and took their heads off. That would be the normal thing to do. Me and you are in danger. We are in danger because we are sinners who have fallen, and every day we're moving closer and closer to death. And what's going to happen? We are going to stand before Jesus in judgment, and that judgment, according to Jesus, is we're either going to heaven or we're going to hell. Well, why should we listen to Jesus? I mean, why should we listen to Him? There's all kind of other spiritual gurus. There's all kind of other other spiritual, religious leaders. We could listen to Muhammad. We could listen to Buddha. We could listen to some Hindu priest. We could listen to Dr. Phil. We could listen to to Alan Watts, if you know who Alan Watts is, some spiritual 60s and 70s dude. People follow all kinds of stuff. Why should we listen to Jesus? I'll tell you why. I'm going to listen to Him. A main reason why I'm going to listen to Him is the resurrection. As soon as your guy, your guru, your Dr. Phil your spiritual leader, as soon as he jumps on a cross and dies and gets a spear in the side and his pleural cavity spills out onto the ground and, you get, and your guy gets in the grave and he's dead and he stays in the grave dead for three days and then he gets up alive and healed and whole and perfect and walks out alive, as soon as your guy does that, I'll listen to your guy. But until your God does that, I'm listening to Jesus. That's a big amen. He was dead. Do you get that? For three days. And then He was just as alive as me and you are standing here today. Until your God does that, I'm going to listen to Him. It's because of the resurrection. So that judgment, that heaven and hell thing. What, okay, so what about the heaven and hell thing? It is not, have you done more good than bad? It is that, have you sinned? It is not, have you done more more good than bad? It is, have you sinned? The text says, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. It doesn't say the wages of doing more bad than good is death. It says the wages of sin is death. So if we die physically, while dead spiritually, we remain lost perpetually. You get that? If we die physically, while dead spiritually... We remain lost perpetually. And that's what the Bible teaches as hell. It is a godless eternity of total torment. And that is not what he would have for us. He is a good king who wants to show you kindness. He does not want that for you. That's Christmas. Christmas is God intruding, disrupting the world to show kindness. N.T. Wright, famous theologian, said this, Christmas is God lighting a candle. It should be on the screen, yeah. Christmas is God lighting a candle, and you don't light a candle in a room that's already full of sunlight. You light a candle in a room that's so murky that the candle, when lit, reveals just how bad things really are. The light shines in the darkness, says St. John, and the darkness has not overcome it. Christmas is a rescue mission. Christmas is you out in the ocean, in a ship that capsized and went down and you ain't got no life jacket and you ain't got no lifeboat and the Coast Guard helicopter flies out and drops a basket to you. That is Christmas. There would be no Easter if there were no Christmas. There would be no crucifixion and resurrection if there were no incarnation. You get that? The kindness of a king. The mercy and grace of a king that came to show me and you kindness and here's mephibosheth he's on the floor because he can't stand up because he's paralyzed he is on the floor before king david and he tells him i got nothing i I got no i'm not bringing anything to you i got nothing i'm trembling because i think you're going to chop my head off that's what he's doing on the floor and he's, that's what he's expecting. And the king says, don't be afraid. I want to show you kindness because of a promise that I made to your dad. So there's this covenant all of a sudden that David tells Mephibosheth about. He says, I'm not showing you kindness, Mephibosheth, because you deserve it. No, no, it's not because you deserve it. It is because the deal I made with your father. It is the deal that I made with someone, that is why. It is just like the deal that God and Abraham made. That was an unconditional covenant. God told Abraham, I will bless all the nations of the earth through you. He didn't say, I will bless all the nations of the earth through you because you did such and such. It's a promise that God made him, period. It was a one-sided promise. That's what David said to Jonathan about taking care of his family. He tells him, you're going to be treated, David tells Mephibosheth, you're going to be treated as a son. So number four is, is there is a good king that wants to show you kindness. And finally, the final point is this, he's given a seat at the royal table. David says, dude, I didn't come to arrest you. I came to adopt you. I came to adopt you into my family. That's what David said. Tells this this guy, and I say kid, but Mephibosheth by now is in his thirties, probably. He says to him, he says, as a matter of fact, dude, I want you at the table with me. Is what David tells him. David tells his staff. He says, he says, this is his seat. This is Phoebe's seat. See, I can shorten it. I can say that. He says. He tells his staff. He says, I want y'all to come out, and I want you to. I want you to put the napkin in his lap. I want you to have a little name tag for him. That's his seat, and I want him there the entire time that I'm a king for eternity. I want him there. And, and Mephibosheth looks around, and he's like, it's like he realizes that he is finally in a place where people want him. He's finally landed in a place. He's not in Lodabar anymore. He's in a place where people want him. There's a good king, you can imagine him sitting there, there's a good king, and and this king is smiling at me, and he's asking me how how my day has gone. He's a guy that loved my dad, and he's showing kindness to me now. And so here's this guy from Lodabar, who is now in Jerusalem, he's in the capital city, he's in the king's palace, he's at the royal table, sitting with the king, with people around him to to share life with and to laugh with. And there's food that's lavishly prepared for him. And the staff puts the napkin across his lap and they tuck another one like down in his shirt or something. And when the table is finally cleared off and they bring some coffee out and they bring some buttermilk pie they got from countries out and some chocolate chest pie and some red velvet cake and they're they're just laughing and they're singing together and they're hanging out together. And there is a rich life, and there's relationship. That's Christmas. That is Christmas. God wanting to have that with you, and wanting you to have that with him and his people. That is Christmas. Well what did it take to get us to the table? What did it take to make that seat available to me and you? It took God's son being born in a stinking, filthy stable. And if you have this image of that cave as this beautiful place where they went to Lowe's and they bought this clean pine straw and it was all clean and pristine, that ain't what it was. It took him coming and being born in filth. It took him coming and being born directly in the shadow of King Herod who tried to kill him. It took that to make the place available. It took him dying on the cross to redeem us, to buy us back, To exchange our sin for his righteousness. That's Christmas. That's what it took to get that place at the table for ascending his spirit to live inside of believers, to seek us out in Lodabar, and invite you to the city. Not because he wanted to 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 to, because he's mad at you, not because he's mad at you, not because he wants to arrest you, but because he wants to bless you. He wants to prosper you. He has only good plans for you. He wants to show you kindness. He wants to show me kindness. He invites you so that you can take a seat at his table for eternity. He wants you to be his son. He wants you to be his daughter. But I don't deserve it, you say. I said that for 30 years. I don't deserve it. But that's the whole point. It's for Jesus' sake. David blessed Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake. God wants to bless you and save you for Jesus' sake. And He wants to adopt you into His family with the heirs of of a blood relative. He wants to adopt you into His family and give you a seat at that table. And you know... Think about what Mephibosheth must have probably thought. Think about what Mephibosheth must have realized. So he's sitting here, and they had to tote him in here and sit him down. And he realizes, and he's sitting there and he's thinking, you know, I've I've felt like an outcast my entire life because of my legs. Promise you, that's what he's sitting there thinking. I felt, but he says, here, at least here... I feel like one of everybody else that's sitting at the table. I feel like everybody else. Because guess what you can't see when I'm sitting at the table? You can't see my legs. I'm sitting just like everybody else. His condition was hidden by his position. Your, Your condition can be hidden by your position. Nobody can see my legs when I'm sitting here. And he's probably like sitting here thinking, I'm sitting next to Absalom, King David's son. He's on my right. The king is on my left. I just look like one of everybody else that's sitting here, just like everybody else. Y'all, your, your history does not have to determine your destiny. You sit down at the king's table. That's your destiny. And that is what Mephibosheth, in his mind, he's just like everybody else at the table. Well, okay. How do you, how does that happen? How do you get at the table? How do you get to the table? You be humble and you sit down. You be humble and you sit down. Be humble and do what? Sit down. You can't do it yourself. Mephibosheth said, Who am I, says to King David? Who am I that you would care anything about me? I'm a dead dog. That's humility. Who am I that that you care one little bit about me? Be humble and sit down. Be willing to take a seat. Be willing to accept the righteousness that He offers. Be willing to accept a seat at the table. Accept the promise that He makes. Ephesians 2 sums this up so well Ephesians 2 1 says this as for you you were dead in your transgressions and sins and verse 4 in Ephesians 2 says but because but because of his great love for us God who is rich in mercy you were dead but God you were dead but God You were dead. Dead doesn't mean alive. You were dead, but God. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you've been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. When we say yes and we humble ourselves and we sit down... We get to be an ambassador for Christ. We get to be an ambassador for Christ. We get to invite people to the table. We get to go to Lodabar. We get to go to Lodabar and seek folks out and find them a place at the table. Jesus put it like this in Luke 22, in verse 29. I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. Y'all, the table is an image of the kingdom. That table is an image of the kingdom. We need to add leaves to the table. That We need to add leaves to the table. This is what he wants us to do. That table, we need to add a leaf and add four seats. And we need to add another leaf and add four seats. And we need to go to the horizon. We need to go this way and we need to add a leaf and add seats. Why do you think we want to build a building on that land down there? Not because we want to have a building so that we can make the table bigger. The table needs to get bigger and bigger. That is what we are called. That is what we are are called to do is to make that table bigger. We want to build a table. I say you say you think we want to build a building. We want to build a table. We want to take the table that He provides and make it as big as where you can't even see where it stops so that more and more and more people will have a seat at the table.